All right, take your Bibles to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I tell you, them girls can sing. All three of them girls can sing that. Little girl, I don't know her, but she can sure play the piano. So that works out well for you. It's good you're a piano player and you're playing the piano. Amen. Good. Awesome. Well, I happen to be a preacher and I'm preaching. Amen. Awesome. Good. All right, Romans chapter 8 this morning. It's so good to be here. This morning, I, I, for some reason, I don't, didn't even know my satellite dish got this channel, but Fox News was on this morning at my house. Uh, I guess it's because the in-laws are in town, because I never watch that channel. <laughs> Sports Center, maybe, but uh, not so much Fox News. But this morning, they were kayak racing and whatever, and a story came on. It's just our country's in so much trouble. They were saying all this stuff, and I could just not help but think, Man, this thing's gone way too far for man to fix it. I mean, ultimately, uh, there's politicians and leaders. I mean, uh, I saw the other day the the French uh, president was coming to our president to ask about an economic crisis in Europe. Well, that's retarded. (laughs) Yes, I have put us in more debt. We are in tremendous amount of debt, but take advice from me. Awesome. It's about like asking me how to cook. I look up YouTube videos on how to grill cheese, you know. So it's one of those deals. But anyway, we'll be in Romans chapter 8 this morning. Romans chapter 8. And really, if you read the book of Romans, um, I'm telling you, there's just so many of the verses that, you know, we're taught as children and we grow up with and we become so familiar with. You read any of the chapters and throughout each and every chapter, you'll find those verses that just hit you because they're such powerful verses. And in Romans chapter 8, as I began to read, uh, this very first verse just stuck out to me. In, verse chapter, or in chapter 8 and verse 1, the Bible says this, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit of life because of righteousness. But if the Spirit of Him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, He that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by His Spirit that dwelleth in you. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we are just so thankful and honored that we get to come to a local church that preaches Your Word. Lord, we're so thankful for the blessings we've already felt from the singers this morning. Lord, the congregational singing and and, and the voices of praise, Lord, I'm just so thankful for it all. But now we come to the most important part of the service, where your word is opened, 
And Lord, your man stands up to preach it. So Father, please help me. Lord, I pray that you would help me preach your word. I pray that the hearts of the listeners in this room would be open. And Lord, may your spirit rest upon this service in a mighty way. It's in your son's precious and holy name I do pray. Amen. The vast majority of Christians in America and all around the world for the most part are lost. It breaks my heart to see as men and women that claim to be Christians have no direction in life. And this is not a spiritual, uh, this is not a lost as in going to hell or unregenerate state, but this is a lost as in somewhere between complete obedience and complete rebellion. There is no direction because the Lord is not calling them and leading them each and every day of their lives. For the most part, we attend services once, twice, and maybe three times a week, and that's the only time that we hear from the Lord. And as I read this chapter, I could not help but notice Paul is laying out for us a roadmap to how the Christian life is supposed to take place. He tells us three destinations upon this road. Now, I am not very good with directions. Last night, we went to downtown Fort Worth and I was using my Google Maps on my iPhone to walk to the courthouse, which we were two blocks away from. So I'm not very good with directions. But there was this one time in particular that me, JT, and Jared were going to go bow fishing. And we were going to this new lake we had never been to, Lake Fairfield. It's in East Texas. And it's about two and a half hours away. And now me and JT and Jared were heading out earlier in the day, but Preston and Brother Luke were coming out after us. And they weren't going to be able to leave till like five that evening or something because they had work or whatever. But we left at about noon, and we're going to get out there, we're going to fish it up, we're going to have so many fish dead before Luke gets out there, and we're going to be bragging about it and all this stuff. We're so excited. The reason we're going to Lake Fairfield is because it has tilapia. Most of the fish, for the most part, that we shoot are, are trash fish. We're really just cleaning them out of the lake so that they don't eat the bass and the catfish and all that. But Fairfield is unique in the fact that it has tilapia, just like you get at HEB. And they're an exotic fish, and so Texas Parks and Wildlife has no problem with us shooting them because they didn't stock them in there. They're just exotic. And so we were excited about it. We took a cooler. Normally we just take a trash can, but now we got a huge cooler. We're going to be throwing these things in there, man. We're going to be flaying them, having some good eats, right? Well, me and JT and Jared take off, and we're on our way down there at about noon. Uh, maybe a little later we had to stop at QT, get a little dollar, you know, 50-cent drink action first. That was good. Well, then we're on our way, and, you know, we get down there uh, towards the lake just fine. Well, once we get down there, I'm following my Google Maps, and we make some turns that led us to the lake, and we were within sight of the lake, but we had no clue how to get to a boat ramp or anything close to the lake. So we're looking at the lake and we, we're, I mean, we get there at about two, three o'clock and, and, and we're looking at where we need to be and we can't get there. And so we're going down, we're driving and we saw some things that day that I didn't even know existed. There are some cranes in this world, not the bird cranes, like the building set up thing cranes that are ginormous. I'm talking about the state of Maryland, ginormous. 
These things were ridiculous. I can't even explain. It looked like our church with an arm sticking out of it. It was awesome. There were two of them. And so we're back here with the cranes. We don't know what they were building. Probably some nuclear facility or something. I, I don't know. But as we drove on, we're looking at all this like private land. And we're, I'm like, okay, well, right here there's a road. And I see a boat ramp because I'm looking at the aerial map. And it was private. And we couldn't get on that one. And I'm not kidding you. We left, I think, four hours before Luke and Preston. And we are putting our boat in the water and they drive down the boat ramp with us. We got lost for four hours, circling this lake, looking at the water with no ability to get to the water. See, following roadmaps sometimes are very important. If we had just made one turn that was, I mean, Brother Luke was like, yeah, it's right there, it's not hard. It says, hey, you idiot, go this way. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. So it, does, it wasn't talking to me because I'm not an idiot, you see. That was the biggest... Totally confusing there. But you see, sometimes in our life, if you make the first right turn, and then you make a next wrong turn, you get totally lost. And we just messed up on one turn. And we got so lost, it took us three to four hours to get back to where we could get in the lake. And the sad thing is, I think a vast majority of Christians are somewhere lost from what Paul says, they're so lost, they have no direction. So if you will, let me this morning show you three stops that Paul, three turns that Paul shows us in this passage of Scripture. First of all, I see there is a removal of an outcome in verses 1 through 4. And this is where everybody is if you're saved this morning. And I just love preaching about salvation because Paul, and you can tell us, I don't know about y'all, but I'm a preacher. I read it like he's preaching at me. And he just says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which uh, are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? That's awesome. Paul says there is no condemnation. And it's hard for us to appreciate what salvation is until we understand what we had before we had salvation. We were inevitably doomed. I mean, there was no hope for us. The Bible right here, Paul's talking about the punishment that we were going to face. I don't even want to begin to think about what hell would be like. But the Bible says that uh, as by Adam, one man's sin ruined everything for us. The Bible says, therefore, as the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation. You see, we were very much condemned to die. And not only were we condemned to die... But we were condemned to death and hell. Last week I witnessed to a young man and it was hard for me to explain to him just the doctrine of that because we sin, that's the reason we die. And many people don't understand that, but the sin nature that we have is the reason that our bodies are worn down and we, we die of diseases like cancer and we die of old age is because sin takes a toll on our body. And we could not live forever in this sinful state that we are in. And so it was hard for me to explain that to him. But the fact of the matter is, that's a real doctrine. The Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. It also says, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The fact of the matter is, when we are born, we are just the very first time that we understand that we are a sinner and we do not have hope in heaven. We are on our way to hell from then on. 
You know, Adam's sin was one of the reasons, but our own personal sin was the second reason. I mean, there's not a person in this room that hasn't sinned. You know, I I was showing that young man and I, I asked him, I said, did anybody ever have to show you how to lie? And he said, no, nobody ever had to show me that. Well, as we went on, he said, yeah, actually somebody did have to teach me. (laughs) Oh, really? They didn't have to teach me. I was pretty good at lying. You know, I got chocolate chip cookie all over my face. And my mom says, did you eat all the chocolate chip cookies? No. (laughs) Not this guy. You want something to eat? No, I'm pretty full. I'm good. (laughs) Thanks, though. You see, the fact of the matter is, from the very moment that we're born, and then we finally understand that we are lost and on our way to hell and that we do do wrong, we are on our way to hell. And the Bible says that there will be a condemnation that we will have to face one day because of that. But Paul's not only talking about the punishment here, but he's talking about the payment. And that's in verse 3, and this is probably my favorite verse of the entire passage. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. You see, there was a, a punishment, but there had to be a payment, and there was no way around it. Now, this is the way that I kind of understand this to take place. I write a check. To, let's say, oh, I don't know, Academy. Because <laughs> I write a lot, of a, check, a lot of checks to Academy. I'm writing a check to Academy. So I have a debt now. And that check is turned into Academy's bank. And now my bank has to pay the debt that I wrote. Does that make sense to everybody? You see, and the fact of the matter is, Adam wrote our check. Not only did Adam write our check, but we endorsed it. And we had a debt. Now, Academy's going to collect. Just like the righteousness and the holiness and the perfection of God requires a just payment for our sin. And so, uh, the blood of rams and the blood of goats could not take care of it forever. And so, what the Lord did is... He sent His own Son, as in John 3.16 says, He he sent His Son for us to veil Himself in the form of flesh for us. And I don't understand this, but God literally came down in the flesh and He hung on a cross for you and me. And He not only took our punishment, but He took the pain. And He took the shame from the creation. I don't get that. The creation killed the Creator. And as He hung on the cross, we spit at Him. And we mocked him. And don't act like it wasn't you because it was you that hung him there. It was each and every one of us. And as we hung our Savior on that cross that day, the righteousness of God was satisfied. There was the punishment that we had to pay. And you see the Lord Jesus Christ came down in the manger. And he lived a perfect, sinless life. And He hung upon a cross because there had to be a payment for our sin. You see, sometimes I find myself, as I get ready to preach on, especially Sunday mornings, I'm, well, I don't want to cover too much of the gospel. And then my heart strikes me. And I just say, how could people not want to hear about what's so great? What's been done for them, I don't understand. We have to be thankful for what the Lord Jesus Christ did for us. 
Not only is there a punishment in the payment, but Paul definitely right here is saying there is a purging that takes place. In verse 4, the Bible says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us. And as I read that phrase, it did not make sense to me at first. I had to think about what that meant. The righteousness of the law. You see, there is no righteousness in the law. The law points out our faults and our failures. Galatians says that the law is just a schoolmaster that brings us to Christ. Paul writes, he says, if it was not for the law, I would not have known sin. And see all these uh, Pharisees that try keeping the law. He he was saying they can't keep the law. It's just, just there to show you that you're wrong. But how does it make sense that there would be righteousness in the law? Well, the fact of the matter is, I love as the Bible says here, that Jesus came in the likeness of flesh. See, Paul's very careful here to say, Jesus did not come in the flesh. Jesus did not come in this sinful nature. Jesus came without the help of a a human father. And so he was 100% perfect in every way. He had no Adamic nature like we have. He then lived a perfect and sinless life amidst the temptation of the, the devil. And you see, on this day on Calvary, something amazing happened. You see, because the perfection of the sinless Lamb of God was traded to us. Now we gave Him something in return, and it was the sins of the world. When I was just a young kid, I remember my family never watched a lot of baseball, but there was something pretty amazing happening when I was about eight years old. And Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa... We're going after the home run, uh, the bad, the home run leaders, and, and basically for season home runs. And it was crazy what these guys were doing. I mean, Babe Ruth had like sixty home runs, and he had set the record there. And, and Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire were just going head to head. And one guy would hit a home run, one guy would hit two home runs, another guy would hit a home run, and they were going back and forth. And And basically, Mark McGuire ended the race and he hit 70 home runs in a 160-game season. That that obliterated the record. And I remember my family, we sat down and we watched this game. Now, we never watched baseball because the Rangers, let's face it, were dreadful back then. We were the farm system for everybody else. And so what happened is we were watching this game and we just watch historical moments on TV if they happen. And so we we're watching it and I'm like, this is awesome. Mark McGuire just shattered the records. And Mark McGuire ended up beating Sammy Sosa out. I think Sammy Sosa had 66 home runs and Mark McGuire had 70. It was just amazing. Well, my parents, when I was younger, had bought me like four shoe boxes of baseball cards. And me being the eight-year-old entrepreneur that I am... I'm like, if I lucked out and got a Mark McGuire card, more specifically, a Mark McGuire rookie card, going to be a payday someday, yes, sir. I was stoked, okay? I'm like, 
and four shoe boxes of baseball cards. I have to have one. I am ripping through there. I am tearing through, you know, Lee Fashizanek and, you know, all these other guys that I have no idea who they are. Never made the majors, you know. I'm looking at AAA pictures. I'm like, this guy, who's this guy? Never ended up finding my Mark McGuire card. But at that moment, I would have taken every single baseball card out of those four shoe boxes and traded for one Mark McGuire card, right? Because those other guys, Mark for shoes, does not have value. But Mark McGuire does have value. And so I would have traded what literally is thousands and thousands and thousands of baseball cards for one good one. Seeing something very similar happen. The Lord had one good card to play. The sinless, perfect Lamb of God. And instead of getting something great in return, we traded Him thousands and thousands of nasty, ugly sins. And we laid them upon the back of our Savior and He hung upon a cross. And He died for us. This is why this is the first turn in the road. is because everybody has to come to this point where you get saved. Every person has to understand that you are in condemnation if you are not saved. And there will be an inevitable payment for your sin. But the fact of the matter is you don't have to face that sin because the Lord Jesus Christ took it and placed it upon Himself. And you gave Him your sin and all you have to do is confess that sin and ask Him to be your Savior. And you can be today. So I pray that if you are in this room, you would get that straightened out today. But what breaks my heart is a vast majority of Christians are still here. And they never move on to the second turn, which is the recognition of an opposition. We see that in the second part of verse 4. The Bible says that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. Now, later on, Paul's very clear to say that those that are in the flesh are not the the sons of God. But here's the thing. We're not in the flesh, but we can walk after the flesh. Does that make sense? When we're saved, we are placed into Christ. In Christ. But while we are saved, we can never be in the flesh. You know how we say, oh, I got a little mad. I got a little in the flesh. Well, I hope not, because that means you lost your salvation. But you can walk after the flesh. Does that make sense? You can have a worldly mindset. You can, you can be uh, hedonistic in your lifestyle. And, and you're not in the flesh, but you're walking after the flesh. And so what Paul's saying here, he's really sending us a message of, of a battle that is taking place inside each and every believer. He's saying there is one side that you can walk after the flesh and you can walk after the world and the, the philosophies and the lifestyles and, and the vain living of the world or you can walk after the Spirit of God, the one that is spiritually minded, that, that minds the things of the Lord Jesus Christ. But this battle rages within the heart of every believer. Paul's very clear that he struggled with this himself. He said, oh, wretched man that I am. And this is just after saying the things that I would, I I do. And the things that I would not do, those things are the ones that I do. I I don't understand it. The things that I want to do good, I don't do those things. But the things that I do bad, I don't want to do those things either. But those happen. It comes right off the heels of Paul saying that. 
So this battle rages within the heart of every single believer. So here's what I'm thinking. How can we as believers get to the point where the spiritual is the victor? Well, I believe this. The winner will depend on our passion. I read Paul's writings and he said that he struggled with this. But then in Philippians he says, And I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them as dung that I may win Christ. Paul says, I forget those things which are behind, pushing forth to the things which are before. Paul was very clear, I forget the world. I lay down the world and I push to the Lord because that's the best thing. But see, a lot of people are not passionate about following the Lord. And we were talking yesterday at the lunch table about people that, you know, need to get their marriages fixed. And they'll be out of church for years and years and years. And they'll come back to church hoping that's going to make a difference. But even on the next Monday after they come to church on Sunday... They're not following the Lord. They don't get guidance from His Word. And they don't pray for help for their relationship. And a lot of Christians never get to this point where they recognize that there's a battle. And just get so passionate about serving the Lord and the things of the Lord. And His Word and His relationship that He offers to us. People just don't ever make this turn. I'll never forget. I've witnessed to several folks in my life, but... And almost every single one of them are willing to give up everything at the moment of salvation. Right? You know what I'm talking about. That they have an addiction or whatever. and The Lord's done something good for me. I just got saved. Can I enroll in your reformers unanimous? Can I? I got to get straightened up for the Lord. It's because at that moment in our salvation, we are more passionate about our salvation than at any other time. We're so ready to drop everything at at the drop of a hat for the Lord because of what He's just done. And yet the newness wears off and we just go back to it. The success in the Christian life will always depend on on your passion for the Christian life. Because if you love the things of the Lord, the Lord Lord will empower you to, to win. If you love the things of of walking in His Word and praying daily, He'll help you. He promises that. It will depend on our passion. But secondly, a lot of it will depend on our participation. Now, right here, I'm going to set up a little analogy, okay? So Josh Manuel, I need your help. And Brother Luke, I need your help. I need a basketball. Okay, we have a basketball here. It's a Cars basketball. This was marked incorrectly at Dollar General. Uh, it said $2 and I paid 5 so praise the Lord. Hope I get reimbursed for that. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said praise the Lord there. Please forgive me. Um, so right here, we have a basketball. Everybody imagination good enough to imagine this as a basketball? Okay. So Josh, you're a basketball player, right? I've seen you play basketball. Now Brother Luke's a pretty good basketball player. Me and him play occasionally. He used to be a little faster than he is now. <laughs> Still, I would always take him on my team. So, guys, step right up here with me so everybody can see us. Now, Josh is a good basketball player, but I don't know if you've noticed he's a little handicapped in that sport. 
due to the nature of the sport, height helps. So Josh probably would not be my first pick in a line of six foot ten guys, right? Brother Luke's a good point guard. He's a good shooter. Sometimes he gets on fire and you can't shut him down. Now, Brother Luke, obviously right here, is probably the ideal teammate. So, Brother Luke, you are on one team. And now, Josh, not so much the ideal teammate. I mean, you probably can help me get water, you know, high five, and you'll be a good player. More a role player at this point in your life. But when you drink a lot of milk and you get that gross spurt, then we'll talk, okay? Okay, so... Luke, obviously, right here is probably the guy that I'm going to have on my team. But Josh, you know, he's not quite as successful, he's not as old, not as tall. But say I put a rule on the game and we're going to play two on one. Now, the rule is, normal rules, but this new rule is another person on your team must touch the ball before you can score in the basket. So now, if I pick Josh to play on my team... And I'll just say this, Brother Luke doesn't want to play me, okay? (laughs) But me and Josh, regardless of Brother Luke's athleticism, regardless of how good he is, if Brother Luke is wanting to score that basketball and somebody else on his team has to touch it, he can't score the ball because he has nobody on his team. Nobody else can touch the ball. But say I have the ball... I pass to Brother Josh, he passes back, I pass to Brother Josh and say, Let it rain, Josh! And he drops a deuce in his face. That's two points for those lay folk in the room. Josh drops two points in Brother Luke's face. Now, it could take us years and years and years to beat Brother Luke to a game to 11. But the fact of the matter is, Brother Luke has no teammates, and I do. Due to the nature of the game and the rule that's been placed upon the game, Brother Luke cannot win this game because I and Brother Josh are the only ones that fit the game, right? Now let me see the ball, Brother Josh. I'm going to drop a deuce in the choir loft. Okay? Like that form, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. I'll sign autographs later. Okay? Now, Brother Luke is the Spirit of God. And Brother Josh is the flesh. No offense, Brother Josh, you're a really good kid. Now, kind of keep in mind that this guy is more powerful. This guy has all the power in the world, the Spirit of God. The flesh is much weaker, not as able. But the rules have remained the same. The Spirit of God can do nothing without my help. Without my participation in my life, the Spirit of God cannot influence me. But with my participation, the flesh can. Now the Spirit of God is far more powerful, far greater than the flesh, but due to the nature of the game, I have to participate with one of them. Now what happens is we choose the flesh far too often. Regardless of the athleticism, the power of God, we choose this. You guys may be seated. You see, the fact of the matter is, the Spirit of God is so much more powerful. He can deliver us from any temptation. 1 Corinthians tells us that there is no temptation taking you, but such is common to man. But God, who is powerful, will be able to deliver you from that temptation. So, amen to that. The Spirit of God does have the power to 
to lift you up and remove you from all sin and all temptation and all all powers of this world. But it's going to take your participation. It's going to take you saying, Spirit of God, direct me. Spirit of God, I am on your side and I will try my very best to remove the flesh and to kill the flesh and I will take it off daily, but I am on your team. But so often we choose the weak flesh. And the Bible right here in in Romans 8 says it's weak. And we we give too much credit to sin. Oh, the power of sin. No, the power of God. But we're on flesh's team far too often. And this is why people never make this turn. is because we like choosing the flesh. Unfortunately. I promise you this, there is nothing that stands in your way between you and a walk with the Lord, but you. The Lord longs to be your friend. He longs for the relationship. He sent His Son to prove it. And the Lord Jesus Christ sits there and prays for you and intercedes for you. And now, we don't have to have a priest to go into the the throne room of God. We can go there anytime we want. Praise be to God for His marvelous work in that area. Stop choosing the flesh. It's weak. It brings uh, unhappiness. It brings uh, no joy. But a walk with the Lord and spiritual minded person will have joy and peace and life everlasting, the Bible says. And all you have to do is choose which one you want to be with. So this is the second turn that we must recognize that there is going to be a battle in our lives. But not only is there the recognition of opposition, but there is a reason for obedience. This, this thing of the, the competition that's taking place, the flesh versus, versus the spiritual minded man, the carnal mind versus, versus a man that's walking after the Lord, that takes place in each one of us and Paul trumps it all. Right here he says, you want to know the reason? You want to know the whole reason why you ought to walk after the Lord? He says it right here. First of all, it distinguishes us. In verse 9, the Bible says this. He's saying that there are men that are carnally minded and men that are in the flesh are unsaved. But in verse 9, he says this. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. You see, 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us this. The Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Ephesians 4 says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed. The Spirit of God, what happens is when you're saved, takes up residence in your life. He takes up residence in your heart. And He literally indwells you. You have the power and Spirit of God living in you. That being said, Paul says this. There are men that are living in the flesh. There are carnal minded men. But the fact of the matter is, you are not in the flesh, but the Spirit of God lives inside of you. You see, it distinguishes us. When we're saved, we ought not have works with the previous lifestyle because the Spirit of God was not residing in us before. And now, the Spirit of God is enabling us and empowering us and helping us and enthralling us to live for Him. Paul says, you're not in the flesh. Stop living like it. You're not in the flesh. You're not in the old man. You're not in the carnal mind. But you are a spiritually minded man because of the Spirit of God. Oh, 
But so often we neglect that. We, we just decide to get saved and we never make that second turn of recognizing the competition. And we never get to the point of complete surrender to God. My friends, the Spirit of God lives inside of you to move you to right spiritual decisions. He indwells you. I, I love how Jesus says this. In, in the face of His disciples, He's looking at them and He says, After I'm gone, the Comforter shall come. And He even says this, he, He'll be greater than Him. And I struggled with that for a long time. How is one part of the Godhead more powerful or anything than Jesus Christ? That doesn't make sense. But he's not saying he's greater in power or knowledge. He's saying he is greater because he will be in you. He will not be limited to a certain location, certain geographical location. He will be in each and every single believer. And he will have the same exact power that I have. And he will have the same exact wisdom that I have. And he will have every characteristic that I have. But he will be with each and every one of you. So James, when you're in Jerusalem, and Paul, you're in Antioch, you will both have Him. The Spirit of God lives in us, and so often we're scared off by the Spirit of God because of other denominational perversions of it. The Spirit of God is needed in the Baptist church, friend. We come to church with dry eyes, and we have no surrender to God, no no altars filling. The Spirit of God is needed. We need God in this place. And that's how it's going to happen. A bunch of Christians selling out to the Lord Jesus Christ. Begging and pleading in prayer for the Lord Jesus Christ to send His Spirit into us. We need the Spirit of God. Don't be scared off because of perversions of the Spirit of God. He is just a vital part as Jesus Christ of the Trinity. And the believer cannot live. The believer cannot survive without His power. The Spirit of God identifies us. But then secondly, it delivers us. And that's in verse 11. The Bible says this. Paul's saying, you want to know what spirit it is? You want to recognize and see the power of the spirit? But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit. That dwelleth in you. I don't know about you, but quicken is probably my favorite word in the King James Bible. That and peradventure. I say that in modern English. I say peradventure, it means perhaps. I love quicken. You know why? Because quicken says so much in one little word. It has a doctrine wrapped up in itself. You see, we were dead in trespasses and sins and we were quickened or made alive. Because of the work of Jesus Christ. And so what the Bible's saying here, and Paul is saying, he tells us, if the same Spirit that lives in you that raised up Christ from the dead and defeated death, the grave, and hell all in one fell swoop, if that Spirit that lived in Christ and raised Him from the dead dwells in you, what can you do, friend? What can He do through you? You see, we oftentimes are so scared off by sins and and all this, but the fact of the matter is, if we submit ourselves to the Spirit of God, we will be delivered from those sins. The power of God's too great, it's too powerful, it will call the Christian to a higher calling. My friend, the Spirit of God lives in each and every one of you, and He's saying, you are powerful through the Spirit of God. See, so often we just neglect being Spirit-filled. 
Ask yourself when the last time you asked to be a spirit-filled Christian is. I would be ashamed if we heard some of those answers. I'm sure of it. You see, my dad wears gloves a lot. My dad carries some gloves in his truck compartment uh, right there in his door. And he does everything with them. We'll be moving firewood, and I never wear gloves, and we'll be moving firewood. And he'll say, oh, Andrew, do you want some gloves? And I'm like, no, I'm good. My hands aren't that pretty anyway, right? Well, he always wears gloves. He wears gloves to pump gas, to haul hay in a tractor. You're in the tractor. Uh, he, he wears gloves for everything. But until he uses that glove, it sits lifeless and motionless in his truck door. Right? You see, a glove is a unique thing. Because... Until I do something with that glove, it will have no power in itself. But the very moment, and this is my dad's glove, I looked in his truck door, amen? I already spent $5 on the ball. I was not paying more. You see, but when I stick my hand in that glove, it becomes a powerful tool. Because I have huge biceps and whatnot, right? See, that glove can beat anybody arm wrestling now because I'm super strong. I'm just kidding. I'm terrible at arm wrestling. This glove has the ability to pick up things like the Bible and and has the ability to shake hands now because I'm wearing the glove, right? You with me? It's lifeless. But when I use this glove, it can do extraordinary things. I can pump gas. I can haul hay in the tractor. But the fact of the matter is, Christian, you're just a glove. And we will do nothing for the cause of Christ if we continuously live without the filling of the Spirit of God. See, each and every one of us has to have the Spirit of God to accomplish anything for the Lord. Are you going to make the decision today To just approach the Lord and say, I have lived far too long without your Spirit's help. I've made way too many decisions without the guidance of your Spirit. Christian, you're just a glove. But the power of God can make you able to do anything. The Bible says with men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. You want everything to be possible? You want everything to be easy to you? I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me, Philippians says. You can do nothing with yourself. We will continuously live in this fleshly state that Paul says. We'll walk after the flesh all the time. But what we need is some men and women of God today to decide that I'm not going to live a mundane lifestyle. I'm not going to live like the status quo. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to beg and plead on my knees and maybe even sob just a little bit and weep for the power and the Spirit of God because without it, America will remain the same. Johnson County, Burleson, Cleburne, Joshua, they'll remain the same. Seats will remain empty. And there will be nothing in this church that that world needs 
Because the only thing we have to offer is the God that indwells us.